This week on the Haber Show podcast, we're going to bring in Henry Abbott of True Hoop fame to recap the zany NBA Finals. We're going to break down the blockbuster Anthony Davis trade and also look into the crystal ball of the Lakers franchise. Henry has covered the NBA for over a decade. He's one of the leaders in this NBA space. Literally, he was my leader at ESPN. He was my boss there for a while. And he's also a veteran magazine writer, a pioneering blogger, and a top shelf thinker. Always great to talk NBA with him. But before we get into that, a word about Dwayne Wade. You know how the NBA works. A trade like the AD one spawns a bunch of other debates and little ecosystems around it. Back in February, I did a big number video segment proclaiming that AD would be the best teammate that LeBron James has ever had. And I showed the numbers behind that, the evidence behind that. One, he has a better player efficiency rating than Dwayne Wade ever did, uh, you know, heading into that year when he came uh, together with LeBron James. I also showed that in the previous three years, Anthony Davis's team has a better win percentage than Dwayne Wade and Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, Chris Bosh, all those guys who have played with LeBron James, all those Hall of Famers. You know what? AD is probably better than all of them. And... Everyone in my mentions is really fired up that I would hate Dwayne Wade like that, that I would uh, besmirch the name. But I love Dwayne Wade. I covered him for six years in Miami. I was there, boots on the ground, talking to him uh, almost every day there during those championship runs. He could not have been nicer and more accommodating to a young writer like myself who didn't know anything about basketball. He was great. He was actually my first sit down uh, on SportsCenter. The first SportsCenter sit down interview I ever did was with Dwayne Wade. I love that dude. He's also one hell of a basketball player. First ballot Hall of Fame, two-way monster. But I also think AD's all of those things. And he's actually two years younger than Wade was when he linked up with LeBron. I've probably spilled more ink about Wade's greatness than anybody outside of what? Steph, LeBron? And believing that Anthony Davis, who is 26 years old, who already is a three-time All-NBA player, a six-time All-Star, three-time block champion, top five at MVP voting, not once, but twice. He is really good. And in my opinion, slightly better than Wade at 28. That shouldn't be a hot take. If AD had Shaq, let's be honest. If AD had Shaq or an equivalent all-time great on his team early in his career, he might win a title and a finals MVP too. But instead, he has Omer Ashik and Etwan Moore. So that's not to take away from what Dwayne Wade did. It's just to point out the circumstance that Dwayne Wade, you know, had an amazing player, coach, organization behind him. I'm not so sure Anthony Davis has been lucky enough to have those things at this stage. So his playoff performance, by the way, swept Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers uh, last year. I don't hold that against AD. Statistically, AD has the edge, and I stand by that big number, but this does not make me a Wade hater. They're both all-time greats. And because of my history with my in Miami... My heart tells me Wade's the better player, but my head says otherwise. AD's better. I'll just leave it at that. All right, now on to the conversation with Henry Abbott on this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's get on with the show. All right, we have an awesome guest here. Uh, His name is Henry Abbott of TrueHoop.com. Henry, how are you this morning? I'm good, man. I'm all super caffeinated, already worked out, cleaned up some dog puke. I'm ready to rock. Oh, no, dog puke. Was it one of yeah. those things where you, you like stepped in it, and you didn't know it, or was it like you smelled it, or did your kids, you know, give you the heads up? Hey, Dad, there's something funky over here. My son bought a very long hair shag rug on the internet when he was like ten, and uh, that's the only place my dog likes to puke. And I was walking in the hallway near his room; he'd already gone to school, and I was like, "What's that sound? That's an 
there's only one sound that sounds like that, and the dog is just ralphed all over the long shack rug. <laughs> this is the only, this is legit how we're opening this podcast, huh? <laughs> Everyone's gagging at home. Great. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It does give you a certain, uh, it wakes you up a little, you know, you got to focus. You got to be on your A game. Like Speaking yeah. of making you puke, we just recovered from the NBA finals, Henry. How about that segue? It made my desk so messy. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> like this is like all of life is overwhelming in the finals, right? You're just a little, you hadn't sleep enough. You didn't, like you took notes on things. You never had time to write. Like just, everything's a little like, ah. So yeah, it was good to have Father's Day. Good to, good to take a minute and uh, exhale. Very important for the health, the psyche, all that kind of stuff. Yes. And, and uh, we've got the draft on Thursday. We just had the biggest trade in uh, Zach Lowe just made the, proclamation that it might have been the biggest trade since Kareem in 1975. So right after the most cataclysmic NBA finals we've seen, uh, a torn Achilles for Kevin Durant, maybe the best player in the NBA, and then a torn ACL for maybe one of the handful best shooters in in NBA history. Now we have the biggest trade to discuss, but I want to really just jump in. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I think everyone wants to know about the Lakers and the Pelicans, what it means for the Celtics and all this stuff. But um, we just saw in the NBA Finals one of the most surprising things in, uh, I don't want to be too hyperbolic, but in NBA history where we have the Toronto Raptors who were a year ago called LeBronto for how much LeBron James had owned the, the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs, sweeping them two times in a row uh, and, and dismissing them in the playoffs three years in a row. They are the NBA champions with Kawhi Leonard, of all people, raising the Larry O'Brien trophy, the Larry O'B as he called it, which is uh, as unpredictable of a, of a chain of events as anyone could imagine uh, this time a year ago. And... You know what? None of that seems to matter right now because Kevin Durant has a torn Achilles and Klay Thompson has a torn ACL. The Lakers just traded for Anthony Davis, maybe the best big man in the NBA. And the Raptors are having their parade as we speak. And it seems to be like item number five in the NBA. That's how crazy this league is. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What did Woj tweet? Like within seconds of the, oh, that Masai Ujiri was going to get a huge offer from the Wizards, right? Yes. I was like, and everyone was like, too soon, Woj. <laughs> Which, by the way, Henry, my guy at uh, NBC Sports Washington, Ben Standig, has been reporting out for the last yeah. month. I think the first one was like April 30th when yeah. he, you know, said, yeah. hey, uh, there's interest here uh, on both sides, uh, Masai and, and the Wizards. And within like three seconds, boom. You know, you, you've worked at ESPN before. I've worked with you at ESPN before. You almost have these columns, and I wrote a lot of my post-game column for the finals, already written, most of it. Um, but that one was, like, ready to go. I mean, you've been behind the scenes. These these elimination games, there's, like, 18 columns ready to go. And people are like, wow, that guy wrote an amazing column in, on a short deadline. No, they've been, we've been working on these things for, like, for like months. Well, there's the um, – and my favorite is the – I almost tweeted about this a bunch of times during the finals, but you know, you project for the bigger stories, right? You actually, well, you wrote one, right? You wrote a Chris Bosch profile, put tons of time into it. And obviously we would both like that to come out at a great moment in the finals. But back when you're working on it, you can't be sure that Chris Bosch will even be in the finals, right? His team right. might not make it. He might not be playing on it. There's so much anxiety. You I, I think all I TP'd your house because I was so mad you're at you. So mad. But Hey, 
I'm telling this story, which I cherry picked because it worked out well, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, but you get in this thing where like, okay, so let's say that you have a Chris Bosch profile that you've worked on forever. And now the heat are down three, one in the second round. This is the day that like you look around the web and everyone just hauls out all the stuff they've been mm. working on in the finals. Like it takes a, takes a very steady hand to not just publish all of them that day, all the heat stories that you have in process. Right. So I felt like that happened this year in the finals again and again, um, which is great. Your theme you open with is the NBA is just wildly unpredictable and everything's changed in a week, a day, a minute. Um, here's what I would like to, I'd like to plant a seed with you, Tom. Let's remember that when we talk about the Lakers later. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, because this is, this is the league that this time last year, the Boston Celtics looked like they were going to be finals favorites. Kyrie right. Irving and Gordon Hayward coming back with, with that core. And it was quite the opposite. And in a lot of things that we think are predetermined and obvious, like the Warriors ruining the NBA, and no one's going to watch the Warriors because they're going to win the title for the next, you know, three decades. They didn't win the title this year, and not because not because of the injuries. I think that is a big part of this, but because I think, and Steve Kerr hit on this, and you've written about it, five years of finals runs takes its toll. You know, the Miami Heat, they had four years of finals runs with their crew, and like half of their roster, and you, we've talked about this, Henry, just straight up retired. That was done. Like Richard Lewis, Shane Battier, Ray Allen, Michael Beasley went to China. All those guys were big parts of that, that core in 2014 that lost to the Spurs. And they just decided, I'm done. I'm done. That's- like these guys were playing in the finals for big minutes. Like Richard Lewis was starting for the Miami Heat and then decided, or his body decided, I can't do this any longer. And so as much as we want to say the Warriors lost because Kevin Durant uh, you know, had the calf injury and then the Achilles and Clay Thompson was out with the hamstring and the ACL, I think a lot of this is, man, they were just beat up. Oh, so beat up. I mean, that thing you just described where half the roster retires, that's a kind of tired that most of us will never know, right? <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. like I here's millions of dollars just to suit up, just to go to work. And you're like, no, <laughs> no, can't do it. Sorry. So how do we, how do we uh, sort this out? Because I feel like both of us are pretty much uh, on one end of the spectrum about the NBA schedule. And that it is, uh, I th- what was the headline that uh, I wrote like three years ago? The, the, the true story of the ankle-breaking, back-breaking back yeah. uh, NBA 82-game season. This is one of the topics that no one likes to really hear about. It's this elephant in the room in the NBA. And in this conversation with Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson and the league itself, we just had a champion, the, the Kawhi Leonard rest strategy was super radical by NBA conventions. And yet now it just seems like we've reached a tipping point where, holy hell, I mean, we'll get into Anthony Davis and, and, and LeBron James, but it's like, should they play more than 60 games next year? Just going into the season because of what we saw happen to Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. Is this too much Monday morning quarterbacking with should Kevin Durant played or Klay Thompson played after those injuries? There are two sides of this debate in my view, and I'm going to sound super here and that's just how it's going to go. There are people who've looked into it and people who haven't, right? Like this is like global climate change where all you have to do is think science exists and be curious and go read. And then you end up tilting in one direction, right? The people who are on the other side just don't want the truth to be where it is. And I'm sorry, like, I don't, you know, 
I'm sorry about that. Like, I think global climate change is a bummer. And I think we're going to have to do lots of difficult things and it's, you know, it's causing problems. And how great would it be if we just didn't have it? So it's tempting in my brain just to be like, ah, screw it. We're not having that. But like, but we do have it. Here it is. So, you know, I, I, one of the earliest like rest things that got in my head was um, one of the first sports scientists who ever talked to me about it talked about this team in Australian rules football who had unpublished data about how all this worked. And of course, Australia's way ahead because they, the government invested hugely in the Australian Institute of Sport and had a, just, just great giant flotillas of sports scientists emerged from Australia after that, right? So this Australian rules football team had a sports scientist and they figured out that if they rested their star players on a different schedule, they reduced injuries by 30%. Um, it wasn't so much that they rested them a ton more. They did set out some games. Mostly they played shorter stints. Um, with this little, and then they customized it per player, right? So some players needed longer stints, shorter stints, more rest, et cetera. Um, and they built into the schedule the ability, which NBA players do not have, to do hard workouts during the season. So if you're going to do a hard workout, you then need three days to recover before a game. Um, a game doesn't count as a hard workout uh, for various reasons we can talk about later. So if you add strategic rest and hard workouts, so you, you can actually get fitter as the season goes on as opposed to reduce injuries 30%. Okay, that's out there. That's how human bodies work. That's real. I'm not telling everyone they have to do it, but I'm telling you if you don't do it, you don't get the 30% boot bump. Like you just, we're going to live without that. So that's what we did in the finals, right? We just saw like, you know, Clay and KD, like this is what it looks like when you don't rest strategically. Mm -hmm. um, the other team did rest strategically and, you know, they almost killed Kawhi by not resting him in the playoffs, but, um, but they won, right? So this is the Lakers' choice. I think people don't, understand what's at stake here like you talk about those that 30 percent decrease in injury um what about dunks like if you look right. into the data and you might not think of this when you watch a game it's hard because our brains aren't calibrated to notice these small you know changes in percentages but there are five thousand fewer dunks in the fourth quarter compared with the first quarter when you look at you know the data from 2006 to 2015 like over a decade there were 5,000 fewer dunks in the fourth quarter compared to the first quarter, a decline of 20%. And in fact, when you look at zero rest days versus one, just one day off, you see a decline of 24% on that zero rest day. So those back-to-backs, so second night of back-to-backs, players are dunking 24% less on those back-to-backs. And just from a entertainment standpoint, that's one thing, but also just from a body fatigue, if you're not able to dunk, what are the other things that you're not able to do on a basketball court? Run back in transition or think smarter about that, uh, about that at play or reading something that the, the fact that you are sleep deprived on these planes where you're flying from coast to coast, um, you know, not so much anymore, but your brain can't your reaction time is is worse and that's an x's and o's that's like a big deal but also hey man there's a foot underneath me maybe my i don't see it and then i don't move my leg and therefore i'm landing on ankles more because my my uh peripheral vision is slower and i'm i'm cal i'm i'm downloading that data just a half second a split second later and then I land on that ankle and I hurt my leg or hurt my knee or whatever it is, that stuff happens more often when you're sleep deprived, when you're fatigued. And I think 
the idea that Kawhi Leonard became a champion and a finals MVP after resting every single one of those second night of back-to-backs or just not playing in a single back-to-back, I think is a watershed moment for the NBA. And that's the sort of story that I think NBA executives, league office personnel, um, coaches, players, that's the sort of tidy story that I think can flip the switch or the tenor in the league because dorks like us, Henry, writing this all the time and, and harping on this, it seems to be grating. It's kind of like, all right, those wackos, those schedule zealots over there uh, need to shut up already. But when it's Kawhi Leonard and you're seeing him dominate the the battered, worn out, uh, hands on the knees warriors, now that's a story that we can all get behind. Yeah, no, that's a, sometimes I feel like, um, I don't feel like this about the world, but I feel like the NBA world is jocks versus nerds on some level still. And like, and you know, what was your GPA in high school, Tom? Oh, I, uh, it's probably terrible. I don't know. Really? I don't remember. Um, I bet it was great. I'm, I don't remember, honestly. I do remember being worried that it wasn't good enough, which is really what my upbringing was a lot. Not because of my parents, but just because of where I grew up. It was, it was the hotbed for Ivy League schools. So I was just like, whatever it is, Henry, it's not good enough. But can so. we just agree you're a nerd? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think th- this debate has largely been like the global climate change debate, like basically nerds being like, you know, this is actually kind of worrisome. And jocks being like, whatever, pal, like I'm dunking <laughs> on your ass. Right. Yeah. Um, now we have a jock argument right now. Like Kawhi has the last laugh. Now here's a big, strong man who just waxed everybody. And like that gets the attention of the jocks. Right. Yeah. That's. Actually, you know, one thing that occurred to me big time was um, I tweeted something about this for the gazillionth time. And um, and uh, somebody uh, got under my skin by basically saying, like, you know, I don't remember, like, the Lakers dynasty having all these injury concerns back in the days of, like, Magic Johnson. Right. Like, they were fine. They were just oh. I didn't play being they were just tougher. Oh. Right. Oh. And I, what I, what I now this was a person. This is just. It's not a crime to not have done your homework on this. It's fine, right? That's a normal human emotional reaction. Um, however, what then I spent way too long, like you know, going for a jog, or and this this was in my head, like what's the proper Twitter response to that? And I did not tweet it, but what's on my head is, um, you know, that's exactly how Tom Thibodeau talked as he was systematically ending the careers of Derek Rose, Luol Deng, Joachim Noah, et cetera, right? Like, like he ground them all to a pulp on the assumption that everyone always just be able to handle that. But okay. Like, That's a great point, and I'm glad you brought it up because Michael Jordan himself quit basketball because he was exhausted. Like, no, Tom, he quit it because he was way too tough in his soul. He needed tougher <laughs> things to do because he's so tough. <laughs> because Well, that's not what people who played with him tell me. <laughs> okay, right? okay, okay. So people who play with Henry, uh, those people who are <laughs> arguing that, the people who know Michael Jordan or play with him, like at the end of that first you know, three-peat run, he went and decided to go play baseball and was like, uh, and, and true, uh, his father passed away and he was just um, this lined up pretty succinctly where he's got, he's got um, this desire to go play baseball and his father passing away and the exhaustion of, of championship runs of basically what the Warriors just went through and the Miami Heat went through. But, you know, even in his press conference when he decided he was re- retiring, um, he said, I'm, I'm worn out. I'm exhausted mentally, uh, physically. And so this, 
this thing, this idea that Michael Jordan would never do this, right? Would ne- like the like the greats before us would never take games off. Well, also they also didn't know, right? They didn't know. They didn't have data on this. They didn't have people talking about this at that time. It was the science just wasn't there. And not only the science, the conventional wisdom wasn't there. Now I feel like the tide is turning. Right? No, it's like saying, you know, I had a huge gas guzzler truck in 1975 and the planet was fine. It's like, well, yeah, you did then, right? You actually were ruining everything for everyone with your stupid truck in 1975, but we just didn't know, right? Like, so now we know what we know. And it's, I think this is the ultimate challenge of leadership nowadays is how adroitly and correctly can you understand what out of all the information there is in the world, what are the things you have to pay attention to and how quickly can you pivot when something appears to be a five alarm fire, right? Like, you know, it used to be leadership in this regard was like, oh, evacuate the village or look, they're invading from the south. So we need to move north, whatever the hell, like it would be very like physical and clear. Now it's like the data is pointing in a million directions. But what are the things we actually need to do now? Like being very skilled at that is something that will make a difference in deciding NBA championships and all of our survival. Um, and uh, I think NBA kind of gets an F on it, right? I mean, the the people whose job that actually is, is the owners who run the committees that make the schedule format. Um, Kawhi just taught us, well, Kawhi taught a lot of people, you already knew it, Tom, um, that the schedule is completely stupid. You would be making a bad strategy to play hard every game, right? Um, so if you make a good strategy, then you're taking... I don't know. Quite took 22 games off. Maybe the right number is 35, right? We don't know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, if it's stupid to follow the decisions of the people whose job it is to make those decisions, those people aren't doing a good job, right? They're doing an absolutely terrible job. Well, so, Henry, Henry, if I can be Adam Silver for a second, they have... Yeah, you're going to have to shave your head, dude. I, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to go <laughs> to uh, an ACC school either. I do have to lose some weight, though, uh, and get taller. But he has, or I guess the league, has agreed to eliminate the four and five. They have added a a week to the all-star break. Um, They have shortened preseason, which actually I don't know if it was a smart move, depending on some of the smart uh, medical and coaches' um, brains out there, is that maybe actually shortening preseason can backfire. But they have implemented some measures to increase rest in the season and elongate the season so that uh, we can build in more rest days. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, is, it is not nothing. It is not nothing. They have softened on the whole 82. Right. I, I mean, Adam Silver's quotes um, and his press conferences, his, his messaging is, I think we might think about shortening the season, which is not something that 10 years ago was possible in the league, or at least uh, a talking point. I think the things you just described and kind of knowing Adam – make the owners look even worse. I think Adams long communicated in subtle ways to people like you and me and press conferences and such that he's willing to be innovative on everything, right? When he was named um, incoming commissioner a year before he took over the job, they had this like catchphrase that they said was going to become the catchphrase of the league, which is just because we've always done it this way doesn't mean that's how we're going to keep doing it. Like that's not a good enough reason. Which makes nerds they, like us like faint, you know, like, oh, yeah, yes, oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. 
And they, they dropped that like six months in. They literally never say it anymore um, because there's so many things they do just because it's the way they used to do it. So to me, OK, here's a commissioner who's willing to lead on this. He's communicated a thousand ways. He's also like full on, like on the record as, you know, overworking players causes injuries and the league has science to prove it. Like he said that in different ways at different times. But they still have an 82 game idiotic schedule, the only possible justification of which is it's the way they've always done it. Right. So that means to me, it has to be the owners. Right. And like it has to be these committees which would make the big changes just aren't bold enough. And I think there's this little bit of now we're getting like way down the rabbit hole. But I think that NBA owners tend to be bold, big risk takers in their A jobs. Right. Like they some tech billionaire, some whatever. And they know all about like they know the landscape and they roll the dice and they live with the results. Um, this is their side job where they just want to look cool, right? That you purchase a team to be more popular at a party, to maybe get to host a TV show like Mark Cuban, right? You don't look cool the day that you shorten the NBA schedule. That's real leadership that comes with a cost, right? And they just haven't been willing to do that. So I think one of the big things that could change the direction of the of the league on this is that maybe now Joe Lacob is like, yeah, uh, let's do... 60 games. Yeah. Right. Uh, like, like, like Jeannie Buss might say, yeah, let's do 60 games, right? Because LeBron James, the, the shorter the season, maybe the longer you have LeBron James, right? And I think those are two very loud voices in the room for owners. You know, the, the two biggest, some of the most, you know, biggest uh, teams in terms of revenue and, and value franchises there. And then you look at, you know, Toronto, like they just had Kawhi Leonard and Boston, uh, I, I don't know if they're arguing for a shorter schedule, but I'd imagine that there are a lot of power players in the ownership circles that are turning or at least open to the idea of, yeah, maybe 82 games doesn't make sense, especially with the fact that, Henry, we've been harping on this for a long time, which is the national TV schedule, which is where they make the bulk of their money from uh, from Turner, from ESPN, uh, ABC, um, that doesn't change with a shorter. If the if the season goes from eighty two to seventy five or to sixty five, whatever it is, the national TV schedule does not change. If if anything, those games become more valuable because they mean more, and therefore there are more eyeballs who are like, yeah. Uh, the dog days aren't as strong anymore. Like because we have more rest days, I'm I'm gonna probably see LeBron James play a lot more on national TV. I'm probably gonna see him less injured, and I'm probably gonna see Giannis Antetokounmpo more often on those nationally TV nationalized TV games because theoretically he would be healthier to play in those games. the The number of games on national TV does not change if they shut down, you know, fifth, lop off like 5, 10, 15, 20 games off the schedule. The biggest difference is the Charlotte Hornets, the Memphis Grizzlies of the world where they get, you know, gate revenue or the local TV deals, like they lose revenue on that end. But in the greater scheme of things, I don't think they lose money. That's my argument that maybe they lose a little bit money on the local TV revenue, but on the larger pie you're going to see a lot more stars being healthy and rejuvenated and dunking more and running more and doing the amazing things that makes basketball so great a lot more if they have guys who are just fresher. Preach. Yeah. Anyone who is going to now say, hey, they're going to lose all this money like you before you make that case in your head, go and watch Kevin Arnovitz's presentation at Sloan this last year. It's on YouTube. I don't think you'll say that after you watch his incredible presentation. One of the best things I've ever seen at Sloan. 
And like, honestly, um, what's the cost of, of shortening the season? Man, you know, it's a huge cost. Kevin Durant not playing next year. Huge. Clay Thompson not playing next year. Like these are huge, huge costs. And I'm not saying that at the 82 game season is, uh, is what caused his Achilles to snap. But I can't tell you that we need to change the conversation or the actual tenor of the conversation because we don't want to see that. And the more that we can put little safeguards into the system to say, yeah, we, we, we just saw Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. We have these images of them grimacing on the ground. Let's, let's make sure we don't have that. And let's make sure we don't have LeBron James in a suit. Let's try to make sure we do all the things that we can to make sure that um, is possible. And I think this might be a big a big summer for ownership and the players union. So I predict there'll be an interim phase. I predict built, I think 2024, the big TV deals up. That's when you get owners' attention because their revenue's in jeopardy, right? I think that between now and 2024, we're going to have this phase of lots of um, kawaiing it up, right? We're going to have more and more stars playing a programmed 60 games or close. Once you have that, once that already exists, the the ticket revenue, the in arena, the local broadcast revenue for those 22 other games already is halved in value, right? This, the, the sad truth of the NBA is that people pay to see the stars and nobody else, right? Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't sell a single ticket all year, which is too bad. Um, but that's just how it is. So if you're the owners, once you're giving up 22 games already, it's easier to give up 22 games for real or whatever the number is, right? But I think we're going to, we're going to, Reduce star games, which ends up producing, makes it easy to reduce the number of games, right? And then going into that deal, you know, whoever it's going to be, you know, YouTube or whoever pays the next big rights to broadcast NBA will say, we want our, what are they going to really want? They're going to want like 40 amazing LeBron games or something, right? And that's all, and that's all they'll need. Whatever. Harden, Curry, Lillard, LeBron, blah, 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 Anthony Davis. They're going to want those. And and they'll need them as many times as they can be amazing and no more times than that. So it's all going to come together, but it'll take a little interim phase, I think, of playing LeBron in some night in Cleveland next November is just stupid, right? He's too valuable the following Sunday when he's going to play against the Celtics or whatever. I mean, is there an argument for Steph Curry playing in back-to-backs next year? Yeah, everybody, right? I mean, you got to rest everybody. I, I think every single star should be playing like, like Kawhi did. Oh man, like, cause they're not going to be, I don't think they're going to be contending next year. And when you have Steph Curry on your team, uh, playing, you know, as hard as he does, uh, and having the ankles that he does, I just, I do not see it's it, the cost they just had. I know it might be emotional for the Warriors training staff and the organization, the ownership, but I, I could see a real scenario that LeBron James, Anthony Davis, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, all do not play back-to-backs next year. If they all do it, then they don't have to worry about missing the playoffs, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, somebody's going to freak out. This is, in the end, like all these debates really are short-term versus long-term, right? This is the global climate change one, et cetera. Is it, you know, do you want to win tonight or do you want to win this year, right? And, you know, there were so many people saying Kawhi was so stupid and taking it too far to sit as much as he did um, this year. But... It worked, right? It was the right long-term play, which looked crazy short-term. There will always be a Thibodeau-type coach just being, ah, screw it, we're all in, let's go. Um, you know, so there'll be some team that, that honestly, I would argue that the Steve Nash sons did this, right? They just got tired, 
right? Steve Nash was never as great in the playoffs because he went hard all year. Mm. Like he ran the whole machine all year long. There'll be a coach willing to give that a whirl. But um, odds are, you know, not perfect proof, but like the odds are that the smartest move, the most wins, the best playoff success, the most years of, of your star come from everybody doing this. So let's get to the Lakers. Uh, we just mentioned LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They are on the Lakers, um, or at least agreed to a trade. This is huge stuff. We, we've been talking about it for a long time. There is a story going around in the league, um, and I haven't confirmed this, but that the actual uh, fissures between the Lakers and the Pelicans had gotten so great, the icy relationship had gotten so great that Gail Benson like told Anthony Davis in a meeting uh, before David Griffin came on, was like, yeah, we'll trade you. Uh, we'll honor your trade request, but it won't be the Lakers. It won't be the Lakers. And that was a couple months ago. And now David Griffin gets hired. He has a longstanding relationship with Rich Paul from his days as the GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers. He wins a championship, <laughs> which Dan Gilbert, the owner, decides not to extend his contract or uh, give him a fair offer, which he has not to this day extended the, the contract of a GM for the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is an astounding fact. But uh, Griffin goes with the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, brokers a deal with the Lakers, and all that talk about how the Lakers and the Pelicans would never do a deal, especially because of the, the L.A. Rams and how they get, they won the, the, the conference title and got to go to the Super Bowl over the Saints, which is like seems like it shouldn't be in, in, in the conversation, but it very much is when the ownership of the Saints and the Pelicans are the same thing. Uh, these are very real emotional you know, barricades that you have to jump over. And the Pelicans now have – I'm going to go through this, Henry – and it's a long list, but they now have, in exchange for trading away Anthony Davis, they have Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, the 2019 number four pick uh, for on Thursday. They have the 2021 first round protected for uh, 9 through 30, meaning if the pick falls after pick number eight for the Lakers, that goes to the next year and it becomes an unprotected pick in 2022, which is also the, the year which people don't realize this now, but they need to get on board. That could be the year that high schoolers can go into the NBA, 2022. Like, the people that I talk to imagine that it's not going to happen this year, of course. It's the double draft, though, It's right? the double draft. So yeah. that one becomes super important, and they could have an unprotected pick that is also the year that LeBron James will not be with the Lakers. So who knows? Or isn't under contract with the Lakers. So who knows what the Lakers look like then? They also have a first-round pick swap in 2023. They have a first-round pick unprotected in 2024, which also has the option to defer to 2025 if... Uh, Griff says, "You know what? I don't like this this draft, or I don't uh, I don't like this year. I want I like the 2025 year better. Uh, I don't like the position that you're in, the Lakers. I want to I want to kick it down the road to 2025." Henry, this is as one person described it to me in the NBA: a highway robbery. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is what David Thorpe and I were just talking about. He's working on something for True Hooper tomorrow. But like, so if you have Zion Williamson. Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, this year's number four pick, everyone else on the Pelicans roster as your baseline, right? And you, mm -hmm. you grow from there. And then what the hell, right? We already think that's a good team, right? We, in time, with development, with some luck, they don't have cap problems, right? 
And now you're just have you have this ongoing rolling options, right? These assets count zero against your cap. Uh-huh. Any one of them might be another Zion, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. And you just get to keep playing poker with those cards, right? And I actually see it more as like the floor it was raised. They can't be that bad, right? Somebody could get hurt on the Pelicans. Maybe they need to change their coach. A bunch of different things could go wrong, right? Like, yeah. But you just get to keep. These are just. This is like four get out of jail free cards. It's an incredible haul for for Griff, and I I got to imagine. I think I think this is just me speculating. Like I don't know this for sure, Henry, but I almost kind of feel like Griff played Palinka from the sense that what if Griff knew that the that the Lakers who drafted Kyle Kuzma uh, and has you know the the aura of Kyle Kuzma in LA is so much greater than I think the objective evaluation of Kyle Kuzma that I almost feel like Griff went into this negotiation and this by the way I'm calling him Griff cuz uh, mo- no one calls him around the league uh Griffin it's or Dave uh, it's just Griff what if he went into these negotiations Henry and just knew that the Lakers super valued Kyle Kuzma and used that as leverage in those talks, being like, hey, I want Kyle Kuzma. And Palinka goes, no, 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 no. We are not giving up. We're not putting Kyle Kuzma in the deal. And Griff goes, please, can we get Kyle Kuzma? He's a great player. I mean, he's averaged 20, 18 points per game. I know he averaged 18 points per game. He is so good. I mean, it's just his second year in the league. He's so good. Yeah, we're not putting him in the deal. Griff goes, fine. If you're not going to put Kyle Kuzma in the deal, just throw me a couple pick swaps. <laughs> like, yeah. I almost feel like th- if that's how it went down, um, that is an amazing negotiation because I can't imagine, in my opinion, Henry, you might feel differently about Kyle Kuzma, but Kyle Kuzma would not be the star of the deal if they got him in exchange for those pick swaps or a couple extra draft picks. Like, I, don't, I would much rather have the pick swaps and draft picks than Kyle Kuzma, who's a great player for a second-year player and, and a great scorer, I should say. Everything around that column, the points per game column, he's a- average, if not below average, in the NBA. As a 20, he's turning 24 next month. That's not a, a top prospect, in my opinion. When you're talking about Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, they're 21 years old. They could be still in college right now. And so if you're a Griff going into this deal, I almost feel like you are playing that card, uh, the Lakers, to your, your advantage. You value that guy. I'm going to pretend that that guy is as valuable just so I can extract more assets out of this deal. And man, I don't like Brandon Ingram as much as uh, David Thorpe does. There are a lot of people in the league who thinks Brandon Ingram is going to be a star, all-star. I don't see it yet, but that's a great asset to have. Even if you don't value Brandon Ingram, other people do around the league. And now you can dangle that. Lonzo Ball, I've always been a fan of his game. Uh, he's young. I don't think that the player development or the situation in LA was good for Lonzo Ball and LeVar Ball. And the, the whole LeVar thing was a specter over him. And he's no longer affiliated with him in a business sense. He is now represented by uh, CAA. This seems like a huge buy-low opportunity for, for the Pelicans. I love this deal. Before I learned about the pick swaps and all that, I, lo- I still love the deal. This is a, di- a trade that you make. The, the package that they got is if you are trading away Anthony Davis for the next like five years, like on contract, they traded Anthony Davis as an expiring deal and still got this haul. Yeah, so... 
And in fairness, look, like I would argue both sides of this work in terms of odds. So I had a really great conversation once with the current like president of basketball operations with a good NBA team who wouldn't talk to me with his name and everything. But he talked to me for 90 minutes about what he saw the Sixers did. What was the process really? Right. And he was like, look, he's like they were league average in terms of turning assets into contributors. But they were all timers in getting more like basically he phrased it as like seeing more cards. Right. So you try to make a good poker hand. And with all of those picks, you know, so they didn't nail it with Nerlens Noel or whatever. Who might end up as a Laker, by the way. Um, but uh, but if you have four picks that high. What makes you high, think that Noel will be a Laker? <laughs> but, um, but if you have four picks that high, you, one of them is going to be Embiid. Right. And you don't know on draft day which one it is. So this is what. The, we just talked about this Pelicans. We're admiring Griff, and he has given himself a lot of cards, right? Um, and one of them is called Zion Williamson and already is kind of known. So on the other hand, I'll argue the thing for the Lakers here and for everyone who made a big bid for Anthony Davis is, you know, 99.999999% of NBA players ever in the history of the game are not Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. They're not seven feet tall and shooting threes and playing gorgeous D and moving all over the court and 26 years old. Like, so in a way, all of those picks that might turn into something like the thing they might turn into is 26 year old Anthony Davis. That's about as, about as good as it could possibly get. So in a way I could see, you know, this is a classic all in thing. And in that scenario where the, where the Lakers are now, like, I mean, we can look at their actual players in their contract, but it's literally like LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma and maybe, yeah, yeah. Like, so like this team really needs players who can play minutes in that scenario. The fact that I won't value Kyle Kuzma particularly well, I think in real plus minus he rated out as like a zero, like literally his offense was a little good. His defense was equivalently bad. He'll get better at both. I imagine. But, um, but to me in that scenario, like Kyle Kuzma can play some minutes, Right. Like he's not a I don't think he has very much chance to become an amazing player. But, you know, neither does Fred Van Vliet. But he was he got a vote for finals MVP. Right. Like so yeah, like if you have good players around, you need more players and Kyle Kuzma can be one of them. So. So, yeah, I guess I feel like it was perfect. The Griff strategy with Kyle Kuzma was perfect. You know, he doesn't make that much sense as someone who doesn't have a super high ceiling. He's not like one of those cards that you might turn over to make your perfect hand in the future. But on a team that isn't needing the Anthony Davis hole filled or the LeBron James. They, they just need more players. Yeah, the Lakers should keep, definitely keep that guy. I actually think, Henry, they might move him uh, because <gasps> I think, Henry, <laughs> gasp, I think they kind of screwed up here on the timing of this deal, right? Like there's this little thing that's hanging over this negotiation, which is if they consummate the deal on July 6th, uh, they are going to operate on 24 to 28 million dollars, somewhere around there, in in cap space, which is not enough to sign a max level player. If a max level player like Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, um, Kawhi Leonard, maybe say, "Hey, I want to sign with you guys," and they're like, "Ooh, will you sign for 24 million dollars instead of 31 million dollars or 32 million dollars starting salary?" Nope, I'm out. That is a conversation that the Lakers do not want to have. And the other alternative is they can wait to consummate this deal on July 30th for very arcane uh, CBA reasons. We will not get into them. But at that point, they can carve out about $32 million, enough for a max level player like Kyrie Irving or Kawhi Leonard. But 
why would the Pelicans want to do that? Why would the Pelicans want to wait that long? July 30th is years in the NBA calendar, and that means that they wouldn't be able to draft um, a number four pick and work them out, play them in summer league, or for someone who is interested in the number four pick, another team. They can't trade that and have that team be like, yeah, I guess we don't value that player enough to have them work out with us or play in summer league. Yeah, we'll just kick the can down the road to July 30th. That's fine with me. That's not going to happen. What is going to happen is, I am sure Rob Palinka uh, did his homework and realized that there was a very real chance that they might have enough for cap space for a max level player. But man, this kind of feels like they they put the 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 horse before the carriage. Is that the right order I, in the metaphor, Henry? Mm, um, no, that they realized. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> they put the idea of Anthony Davis. All right, we we agreed to the deal, and then maybe the Pelicans are like, yeah, but do they realize they're probably not going to have cap space to sign in the third max guy? Because that's what's happening right now. They right now, if they consummate this deal on July 6th, they will not have a max level player. And I, I, I want to believe that they're going to try in that case to carve out as much cap space as possible. And that might mean moving Kyle Kuzma. So very interesting. Now you're making me all kinds of questions are popping in my head, Tom. So let us remember, uh, LeBron was traded to the Miami heat from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like it was the yes. most famous free agent move ever, but it was actually a trade, yes, right? So same with Chris Bosh. Yeah. Right. So, um, which by the way, might undermine Zach Lowe's point about this being the biggest trade since whatever he said it was. Oh, but that's semantics, Henry. There you go. Um, <laughs> so however, here's my question for you. And I do not know the answer to this, but can the Lakers in July who Lakers who have cap space, can they sign and trade can they make this trade so that they end up trading for Jimmy Butler or Kawhi or so with with a signing? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, can um, they fix their cap problem? Uh, so you were you are saying they trade Jimmy Butler or Jimmy Butler signs somewhere and then they trade Kyle Kuzma in that package? Uh, or are you saying no, just in general, I'm, like I'm hurting my own head with the permutations of this, but I think I'm saying like like. Uh, can they take on a $32 million salary in July because they're using 24 to $28 million of space and the remainder in salary they're trading out with somebody who they're just going to sign in oh, this early stage of agency? Can't do it? I, I don't think the timing works. I think in theory they could do that. I just don't know about the timing. Um, so they would essentially be signing – uh, let's just say Rajon Rondo for right, $10 million right. and then trading right. him immediately. I don't think right. that seems like an easy loophole, right? That seems like, Oh, that seems like a, a too easy of a loophole to, to seems like through. when they, when they signed assistant coach Aaron McKee and traded him to Memphis to get Pau Gasol, like that kind of a loophole <laughs> that actually happened. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. That actually <laughs> <happened>. <laughs> I don't think I knew that. <laughs> wow. Can I tell you a crazy, this is just straight up story yes. time for a second? Yes. So that trade was leaked to me. I knew about it. It was the craziest trade ever, and I knew about it. And it was so crazy that I just didn't believe it, and I had one anonymous source. So I did a very weird thing, which is I wrote I wrote it in a jacked up way. I wouldn't do it again this way, but like I proposed that they should do that. And I published it at some hour, and then they literally did the whole thing um, a few hours later, and everyone was like blown away. However, as it was leaked to me, this Aaron McKee fact was included 
And I was like, you know what? I just can't possibly include that. <laughs> It'll be like, it would expose my source. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like there's no way I would have thought of that. <laughs> like, why don't you sign an assistant coach and trade him? Like, what? The um, Lakers' acquisition of Pau Gasol was only approved by the league office when the Lakers called McKee to inform him that they wanted to sign him and throw him in for salary cap reasons. He was released from the Grizzlies on May 9th, 2008. Yeah. Wow. This, wow. All right. Yeah, that's crazy, Henry. I don't think that, I think that's all done now. But the way that sign-in trades work now is just one of those things where I've reached a point in my life where I just have to call someone who understands it better than me because I can't understand it. But, um, but the but upshot here is that what your point is, is great is that, uh, and I've said that they are, uh, championship favorites right now, considering of all the, the turnover in the league. Like we don't know if Kawhi Leonard is in Toronto or LA, what, what have you. But what the Lakers have is Anthony Davis and LeBron James, two top five, probably top 10, whatever you want to say at the worst, they're two top 10 players on their roster going into next year. And this, and the NBA, thrives on on superstars you can't have you can have demar Derozan on the raptors but you're not winning a title unless you have Kawhi leonard they have two Kawhi leonards on their team and i think they go together beautifully oh i can yeah. picture this right like so great like lebron's really smart to go after this guy right like hell yeah but i do think there's this is i'm right i'm gonna write about this this afternoon there are a thousand great decisions i mean we think the warriors just lost a championship because of little nuances of managing lower leg injuries, right? There's so many things you have to do, right? I think Frank Vogel, I'm just going to guess, I don't know Frank Vogel very well, but like, I'm going to assume he's a good enough coach to like lead a team that wins a bunch of championships. Um, I'm going to assume LeBron's healthy enough, young enough uh, to be that guy, right? I'm going to assume Anthony Davis is going to be healthy, but they still have to fill out the whole rest of the roster. They mm-hmm. still have to manage these seasons well. They still have to have the right offense, the right defense. They still have to earn the trust of each other so that LeBron doesn't do that thing where he gets his new coach fired like he always does. And on and on and on, right? If any one of those things goes wrong, they don't have any more outs. They don't have any more cards to play. They might end up, if this goes badly, like they have the stepping in rule to stop teams from trading consecutive first-round picks away. They might have to make a new rule to stop you doing pick swaps year after year because – it could be that the Lakers will be terrible forever, right? Like <laughs> it could be if this doesn't work, if Anthony Davis's knees and ankles and feet and everything aren't perfectly sound for a good long run and, and some sniffs at finals or finals or titles, then they have no other way to get good. Like none. It has, this roster has to work. Right. And last year, Henry, their roster did not work. So we're operating under the belief that Rob Palinka is going to be able to manage this roster, the rest of the roster, signing all these people with the hope that people just walk up to them and say, I want to take pay cuts to play with this team. I want to, like J.J. Redick, will J.J. Redick walk to uh, the Lakers or, or call him up and say, look, I would rather make $20 million a year next year with the 76ers or what have you, but for you guys, I'll play, I'll play for 10. And that makes yeah. things so much easier. And in Miami, that happened Actually, with the big three, they all took less money to play there. Um, it wasn't $10 million worth on you know annual basis, but they took a fraction of what they could have made max level money under the CBA to play there. They're going to have to have people do that in order to maximize this roster because they just don't have a lot of wiggle room. If they, if they sign Kyrie Irving, if they sign LeBron, uh, Anthony Davis, they obviously will, but if they have those three guys... 
man, uh, if they're healthy, there's probably not a better team in the NBA. But when you talk about uh, the knee problems that Kyrie has, the age of LeBron James, and he's coming back from a groin injury, that can open up all sorts of issues on that chain. Then you have Anthony Davis, uh, who's had a bunch of minor issues throughout his career. He only played 56 games last year. LeBron only played 55 games. So the mileage just in this past year isn't huge. But this this is a huge moment for Rob Palenka in having to manage this roster, which he doesn't have a president of basketball operations. He doesn't have a huge staff um, that he's worked with for years that he can build the trust in. And Baxter Holmes, what an incredible story, just detailing the the internal I don't know what the right word is, just uh, fear, uh, anxiety, um, just people who are doing way more work than they should be or doing way less work than they should be and feeling like they don't have enough voice heard uh, in that organization. That is a huge task for them. That's for another day. uh, But just from the optics of this deal, you feel like the Lakers have as good a chance as anybody to win a title or you're just kind of like, if everything breaks right, they will be favorites, but I'm not putting them as the favorite right now. I mean, we need to, like LeBron and Anthony Davis and a player to be named later need to be healthy come next year's playoffs, right? And I referenced the earliest part of this conversation, right? I did, it's not likely that all three are healthy if they have three um, a year from now if they go all in all season, right? I, it's, I hate projecting injuries. I hate to say at least People's livelihood depends on healthy knee ligaments and such. But um, so I'm not predicting an injury, but I'm just saying everybody gets beat up. You know, we've seen it so many times. And so they're probably, depending how the roster is, they're probably the favorites going into next year. Um, in most years, the favorites going into the year are sub 50% likely to win a title, right? So when the, at the peak of the war, I think they're like 40%. So that's 60% not going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Then we're going to add whatever things might go wrong in Lakerland. And there's one more challenge. Like, you know, you're talking about, you know, these kind of trusted veterans giving a discount to this team. When they go to sign that deal, they're sitting across the table from a Heath Ledger guy. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I've long been of the view that, like, Anthony Davis is 100% an incredible professional at the absolute peak of his game. He's as good at what he does. He's as smart and hardworking as anyone ever in the history of the game. And he has to deal with front offices who aren't, right? A lot of NBA front people just aren't as good at what they do as what Anthony Davis is what he does, right? So Anthony Davis knows that. LeBron knows that and on and on. He has to go sign this deal and like, yeah, Rob Palinka, you know, okay. You know, I'm going to smile and nod through this session, right? Because I don't really believe in the things you're saying because you're the guy who faked a story about Heath Ledger and Kobe Bryant having dinner and a million other stories like it, right? Um, that's going to be the case for everyone they might try to sign, right? Like, what is the team that you're buying into, right? Like, what if you're... If you're believing and you're all in and you're Anthony Davis and you're Clutch and you're LeBron James, are they buying into Clutch or are they buying into the Lakers? Because the Lakers are owned by Jeannie Buss run by Rob Polinka, right? Like I see no evidence that that's where everybody believes, right? I haven't seen LeBron tweeting like, oh, Jeannie and Rob are incredible what they do. Like, no, no, no. Like LeBron's betting on LeBron as with power outsourced to Clutch, right? Yeah. Um, I don't, that team's doing well. But then it gets into that team's very, very good at what it does. But what it does is get clutch paid. I would argue that if they hadn't had so much leverage in Cleveland and gotten Tristan Thompson so much money and other clutch clients too, mostly Tristan Thompson, LeBron might still be in Cleveland. They might still be good because they'd have better used those dollars. Right. So 
that's a new thing we've introduced now is Rich Paul is like front and center. He used to be kind of balanced against the influence of Kobe and balanced against the influence of other people circulating, other agents, et cetera. Now, with these two guys being the whole show, like you mentioned, Tom, I think the most brilliant possible player they could add is Malcolm Brogdon. If he were represented by Clutch, I think, yeah, they might get him, right? But he's not represented by Clutch. I think they won't get him, <laughs> right? Like just for that reason, maybe that's a little harsh. Also, but, um, he's a restricted free agent. For a also, team that's to, agent. Right. for a team that's trying to win a championship too. So. But if you're represented by Clutch, don't you feel like <laughs> they'd get it done? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, like would, it would certainly you know shift the balances for sure. So if you're the Lakers and not Team Clutch, ooh, I hear someone young. <laughs> um, if you're the Lakers, like she's a Bucks Lakers fan, might, she doesn't want uh, she doesn't want it. Brogdon. She doesn't like any of that talk. Yeah, no, that talk. The Lakers want Malcolm Brogdon if they're smart, right? Does Team Clutch want Malcolm Brogdon? I don't know. These kinds of little things will shade every decision moving forward, and it might not matter in this exact player's case, but it's going to matter somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to get into this discussion. We just watched Kawhi Leonard win a title, right? Uh, with not the Spurs, the Raptors, the team that uh, a lot of famous people thought the, the Boston Celtics would win 67 games um, and win a championship and cakewalk to get there because they're adding Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward. The opposite happened. They got much worse and it was a disaster of a season. And the picks that they got, the Sacramento Kings pick was supposed to be amazing this year. And it turns out the Kings actually were pretty good. Um, they're about 500 for the, the whole year. And that pick actually didn't work out as well as Celtics fans would hope. So, this idea that Anthony Davis is going to stay with the Lakers, I think isn't as strong as Lakers fans want to believe. And I do understand, and you pointed this out, that he is represented by Clutch, as is LeBron James. And it would be a disaster for both sides, I think, if they made all this uh, headache for, for everyone around the league up, up to Adam Silver and down. Um, and Magic Johnson, um, some of the biggest power players. It was such a big headache that they just decided to quit um, because it was such a headache. I do think that it is a, a non-zero chance that Anthony Davis goes and leaves next year. For one, we already know from sources, uh, you know, the reports out there that Rich Paul has already indicated that Anthony Davis will hit the free agency market. He's not signing an extension this summer um, with the Lakers. He will hit free agency. What happens and we just saw Klay Thompson, who had never missed an NBA game or an NBA postseason game. He had never missed a postseason game due to injury. He got injured and then got way, way worse injured towards ACL. So this idea that like what we just saw, the past performance does not predict future results. We just saw Klay Thompson, who is as injury and durable as they come, um, have a massive injury. What happens? And I, I know we just talked about this, that it's not good to talk about injuries and predicting them, but... Man, what happens if LeBron has a, a groin issue again? And Anthony Davis is looking at that situation like, do I really want to hitch my wagon to that guy? Do I really want Rich Paul representing me? Agents change so much. Like, I think Dwight Howard or DeAndre Jordan changed his agent like five times in a month span. Like These things change by the day, their agents. And I'd imagine there is a, a, a distinct possibility that Anthony Davis decides, man, this is not it. This Lakers thing, I, this is not it. The Heath Ledger thing, uh, the the whole the spotlight. I'm not ready for this. You know what, Rich? I'm out. And Lakers, I'm out. And then what happens? You know, like I do think that that's a very real possibility that is worth raising. I'm not saying it's gonna happen, 
But the idea that the Lakers just gave up this haul for uh, the possibility that Anthony Davis leaves, like we just watched all this unbelievably unlikely things happening in the NBA. It has to be talked about. Oh, I mean, and let's be super clear. Uh, Anthony Davis is the MVP of the Lakers, right? If you were to project future value, like if the Lakers are going to win another championship, um, it's the 26-year-old uh, do-everything center who's the primary asset, right? For oh, all, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you and I have spilled much ink about the glory of LeBron. I genuinely think he's the greatest player in the history of the game, but he's 34. Um, and so with that in mind, and you're saying that that we have to really consider that Anthony Davis could leave next summer, real risk. Okay, so let's say we're not on pace for 60 wins. Everyone's not rolling, approaching this coming trade deadline. And you're Rob Plinka and Jeannie Buss, and if you want this team to really be good, you need Anthony Davis, and you're, it's looking like there's a chance he could leave, right? <laughs> there's only one oh, move, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's only one move. Like you have a dude. How much? Let's look at. Um, maybe I have it open still. But like you know, so LeBron's gonna make thirty-seven four this year, thirty-nine two in twenty twenty-one, and forty-one million in twenty twenty-two. You have to trade him, right? Like, or you have to decide if you're optimizing around a thirty-four-year-old player or a twenty-six-year-old player, and you have to get players accordingly, right? And it's not both. Um, and with not only because of the salaries, right? The salaries make it so that you just can't build around both. Um. So I, these are the kinds of questions that I don't pretend to even know will come up. Um, but I know that those are decision theory is a real thing. And there's real kind of math and science that go into this kind of stuff. And how likely is LeBron to be productive with the way he moved at this age and blah, blah, blah. And all the soft tissue analysis that we talked about, all, you know, all of these things matter. But yeah, if, if you think you're going to lose Anthony Davis, I think you have to suddenly do everything you can. And then it gets really tricky with Clutch. What does Clutch yes, want there? Yes. Clutch want Anthony Davis to win more championships than later. They want LeBron. I, you know, what do they want? I don't know. It's woo, it's tricky. Kind of exciting, though. We're going to have lots of... It's Business is going to be good for me and you this year, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's uh, lots to write about, and we haven't even hit the draft. Like, the draft is on Thursday, Henry, and, like, zero of this conversation is about the draft, right? Oh, it's weird. Um, so, hey, um, let's wrap up here, uh, but please tell everyone where they can find your work. I really think it's best to just go to troop.com. I'm on Twitter at true hoop. Um, we're working on our Instagram and Facebook game, but I, it's, it's not a strong point for me. <laughs> oh, is it, is it just puppies? And, uh, is it just going to be a feed of puppies and little children doing fun things? There was a video yet uh, today that I saw of dads, like saving their child, um, from like uh, collisions and being the most athletic, like everyone turned into Anthony Davis. Like there's just like a, a, a stream of video, like a three minute video of just dads doing miraculously athletic things to save their kids from like an oncoming car or just like a, a boulder falling off a mountain. And this guy, this dad just like pulls him out of the way. You should just have videos like that on your true page and you'll do very well. I have this anxiety, like, you know, so you and I both kind of have careers where it's we're sort of in this game of, you know, how can we attract attention on in in digital space, right? It's kind of what we have to do. Um, in that, I am sitting here right now talking to you next to a very cute uh, rescue pit bull, right? She's one of those ones that's shaped like a bowling ball, kind of. Like, she's, like, not scary looking at all. And every day I'm like, man, I'm laboring over here. I've got decades of research and building contacts and perspective and degrees and all this stuff. But 
I really think she would wax me if if I had the courage to just make one of the social media channels just my dog doing like like I have this video of her licking peanut butter off a spoon. I think that would be more popular than anything I've ever done in my career. And we might have to go there. That might be what we yeah, do. That might be the. I want to see this video now. I might not want to read the column you're writing later. Yeah, but you don't I care. Definitely just... want to re- watch the pit bull eat peanut butter. <laughs> it's so cute. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Well, listen. Um, go go read all of Henry's work at TrueHoop.com. Subscribe. I'm a subscriber. It is fantastic content. And look, this is going to be an amazing summer. Uh, from an NBA fan perspective, lots of the crazy stuff is going to happen. You're going to want to read what Henry has to say about it and David Thorpe and the rest of the True Hoop staff. So, um, Henry, thanks so much for joining. Um, I think I might have a t-shirt coming your way. Sweet. All right. Thanks, yes. Tom. Thanks for having me. Super fun. And it was great seeing you in, uh, I forget where we hung out. I guess it was Oakland. Uh, this is yeah. the sleep deprivation talking here. And I hopefully we'll see you soon. All right, man. Great talking. And that'll do it. My conversation with Henry Abbott. I love that guy. He is really smart. You should go read him at truehoop.com. Subscribe to their newsletter. Um, I do it, and it's a great decision. Also, follow him at truehoop on Twitter. And also, after this, please go hit that review button or that uh, rating. Give me five stars, one star, whatever you feel uh, in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts subscribe, do all those fun things. Um, Until next time, actually, we might have another podcast post-NBA draft coming into your library um, later this week. So stay tuned for that on the Haber Show podcast. Thanks so much for joining. And until next time.